Okay, we are in Acts chapter 28. And let me start reading again from verse 17. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Now Acts 28:18. And when they had examined me, they were willing to re- release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Okay, so Paul has been imprisoned for two and a half years. That included his shipwreck time and his time in Caesarea. For offense, he never did. Here he calls together the Jews after being only in Rome for three days. He's in his own rented residence there, chained still to a Roman soldier. And he calls this meeting together. And so that's what we had covered last time. And now let's look in verse 23 what happens at this meeting. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So Paul now is under house arrest, but still chained to a Roman guard. And we know that because it says back in verse 16, when he had entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And we know that also from verse 20, when he says, I am wearing this chain for the sake and the hope of Israel. This chain, the chain that he was actually hooked to, and hooked to this Roman soldier. So, many Jews started coming. He wasn't allowed to leave. He had to stay in that quarters. But the Jews, it says, came to him in great numbers, and he was speaking to them, testifying about the kingdom of God, and trying to persuade them about Jesus, using the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. So, I've heard people say, well, the Sermon on the Mount could have been said in 20 minutes, so no message should be longer than 20 minutes. Well, why, why do we only take that message as, as, as you know, the defining time? 
In fact, Jesus had some one-line comments. Maybe sermons should only be one line. On the other hand, there are verses like this. From morning until evening, he was speaking to them, trying to convince them of the kingdom of God. It says, remember Paul, we had read earlier. Eutychus was, was up in the window, and Paul had spoken so long that Eutychus fell asleep and fell down. And, and after speaking all night, then they had the Lord's Supper that morning. Um, but, but Paul is speaking to them. He didn't have the New Testament to reason to them about Jesus. Remember, Paul was in the midst of writing letters that were going to become portions of the New Testament. Paul didn't have any of this text with him. He used the Law of Moses, so our, our, our first five books, and then he used the prophets, so he used the rest. So he used the Old Testament as we have it. And I have seen presentations by, by Messianic Jews where they will convincingly describe the life of the Messiah and Jesus using only the Old Testament, not even breaking into the New Testament, as a defense for Jesus being the hope of Israel. And this is what he did. And it is certainly possible to do this from morning until evening. Can you imagine a large gathering in his home from morning until evening? And it says in verse 24, some were persuaded but other, by the things spoken, but others would not believe. So some believed and some didn't believe. This is normal. Not everybody is going to believe our witness. But some believe and some don't believe. And this is the way that, that the gospel is, is often received. Some believe, some don't believe. And what's interesting here is he had a large number from morning until evening. Well, who's, who's working here? Who's, you know, who's serving the tea? You know, what's, what's going on here? We don't know. We don't have all the details. Maybe some of the brethren from the community were there and lending a hand. But what's interesting here is, look in verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. The chain did not hinder Paul. The circumstances of life did not hinder him. It's so easy to, to look at the little problems in our life and think, well, when I get this taken care of, then I will minister. Then I will share. Then I will do the work of the Lord. Let me tell you, that day will never come. You will never have a day when you don't have some problem going on, or some difficulty at work, or some challenge, or some exam, or something. Some, something going on in your life. You will never experience a time like this. And if you think when you retire you'll have that time, you won't. I mean, your knees won't work right, you'll have arthritis, you'll have pain. I mean, there's things that are going to come. But Paul... Look how he viewed this in verse 31. With all openness, unhindered. This is a state of mind. And this is why you can have two people in the same experiences. One is like, ah, oh, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't do anything. Be good to me. And the other is like, I'm fine. You know, let's go out and share. Everything's fine. Life is great. This is the openness and unhindered life of Paul. Remember what it says. Remember, these are the very Jews. It is the Jews who are responsible for Paul being imprisoned. But remember what the Word said, and we looked at part of this last time, but we didn't finish it in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, when it said that we should never seek vengeance of our own. It actually continues on, and, and it says, 
in Romans 12:19, never take your own revenge, brethren, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil by doing good acts. By doing good acts, it brings you out. It brings us out of ourselves and this bitterness that we may have toward others. So, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, think of this person bothering you. Think of this person that you might want to consider your enemy. If you liked them, what would you do for them? Okay, so imagine this in your mind. If you liked them, you would look them in the eye and greet them in the morning and say, Hello, good morning. How are you doing? If you liked them, what would you do? I mean, what do, what do you do for your friends? Do you bring them you know, a little candy bar or something to say, I just wanted you to have this. You know, what do you do for your friends? He says, do that to this person to this so-called enemy. And it will cause you to like them more. That's why the Scriptures say you overcome evil with good. You do a good act and it overcomes. So what does Paul do? He invites them into his home. You overcome evil because this is superhuman. How can a person be in prison for four and a half years and still be, with all openness, unhindered? How can it be superhuman like this? By overcoming evil with good, you take on these qualities of God that make you superhuman. By doing good to those who would normally hurt you. By doing good to the one who normally bothers you. By doing them good. By do them an act of goodness. Invite them out to lunch. And then it makes you like them. We were in a, uh, I was asked by, by the university at one point to speak about, about the, um, the, the intolerance at the university. And I shouldn't have agreed to do this, but anyway, the religious intolerance at the university. So they asked me and a Muslim guy and a guy in the, in, in the religious studies department to you know, just give our views on this. And I went there saying there is... There is no intolerance. Nobody ever stops me. I can do whatever I want. And then all of a sudden, the guy from religious studies got up there and started attacking me. It's really quite interesting. He says that, you know, that some professors would put ads in the paper about Jesus. You know, I'm the only guy who does that, and I happen to be sitting there. And, and that people who are totally untrained in religion would be talking about it. Like this, is, this is what I do every Sunday. And I'll, I'll grant you that. I'm totally untrained. I'm just shooting from the hip here every Sunday. So, so what did I do? I, I invited this guy to lunch afterward. And the Muslim guy was fine to me. He, in fact, got up. He says, Jim doesn't bother me a bit. He's fine. He says, I have no problem with what he does. Were, were, were you there? You were there, weren't you? You remember that? Yeah, this was several years ago. And he says, Jim, I'm fine with Jim. As long as I can speak about what I want, I'm fine. And he and I are very good friends. But it was the, 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 the Christian professor from religious studies that was really upset about this. I didn't know he was upset. I didn't know that my, he even read my ads. In fact, I told him that 
that my ads in the paper about Jesus. I didn't even think it was on his radar screen, but apparently to he and his colleagues, it was a huge deal that I would take full-page ads and talk about Jesus. And I told them, if I had known you were reading it, I would have put more ads in there. So right after that meeting, I went out and I had the thresher put in another ad about Jesus, because all of a sudden I knew these guys were now reading about Jesus. So anyway, I invited them out to lunch. And so he and I have, have, have... become really good friends. I mean, we were friends, and it was almost as if our friendship now was threatened, and I invited them out to lunch, and we're friends. You do a good act to somebody who attacks you, and all of a sudden you like them. And this is what Paul did. This is what made the man have this superhuman quality. He says, I'm unhindered. Oh, yeah, there's this chain, but I'm unhindered. Oh, yeah, I can't leave the threshold of this house, but I'm unhindered. I mean, there's no hindrance in the man's mind. You're like, probably, you can't leave here. Okay, but look, the Jews in large numbers are coming here. I mean, this is great. This is easier for me. I don't even have to go out to the marketplace and gather them up. They're coming to me. It's a state of mind. And you maintain that by overcoming evil with good. And then look what he says in verse in verse 25, it says, And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. And, and you, you know, it's interesting. We can take this as being, you know, a real attack by Paul. Or you could read it very differently. Remember, what Paul is quoting to them is their own scriptures. This to them. You, you, take, you take a religious Jew and you start quoting the scriptures to them, their, their own scriptures. I mean, immediately there's a reverence. There really is. And if you take religious Jews, and, and uh, I met many of them in Israel, and you start using the scriptures, the law of Moses or the prophets, you start using them, there's an immediate respect. Hey, this is my word. This is what's spoken. So, we don't look at this, I think it's wrongly to look at this as some verbal attack on them. Paul says... The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. So, look what Paul, how Paul views the Scriptures. He says, the Holy Spirit was speaking through Isaiah the prophet. So that it's really the Holy Spirit that writes, writes the Scriptures through the human agency of a human being. This is the way the Scriptures work. These were penned by human beings. Paul, in many cases. But these were penned by human beings, but it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking through a human being who's writing it down. Rightly did the Holy Spirit speak through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. So what he's saying is, Isaiah said this 700 years ago to your fathers. But the application is also for today. That's what the Scriptures are. These words in this Bible were spoken to people a long time ago by men who were used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to men who penned these words. They were spoken a long time ago, but there is application to us today. That's what he's saying. This was spoken to your fathers, but it was said, it was said to your fathers, but the application now is for us. This is the way we view the Scriptures. Saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. Now, what I want you to see here is the progression. He says, you will keep on hearing, but
but you will not understand. So do they hear? You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not proceed. So do they see? The answer is yes. In this verse, you will keep on seeing, but you will not proceed. Now look at the next verse, the state that it's gone to. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. You see the progression. God speaks, but if we don't take hold, our ears start not hearing well anymore. Because the heart has become dull. Our eyes see, but if we will not take hold of this, something happens to our heart and our eyes close. And we can't see anymore. There is a progression here that Isaiah is talking about. Paul is telling his brethren whom he loves. Remember, this is the same Paul who said, I would give up my salvation if the Jews could come to know the Lord. I mean, this is huge. Not only would I give up my riches, my everything, give up my home, whatever. I would give up my salvation. I would live in hell forever if my fellow brethren could know the Lord. That's what Paul wrote. That's how much he loves these people. But the warning is for us today. Look at what happens. If we take the Word of God and hear things and just, ah, and don't take hold of it, what happens is our ears become dull. We don't hear very well anymore. So that as the word comes, it's like we're getting further and further away from the speaker. And then we can't hear well anymore. And it's harder to see. And the more we, we, we don't take hold of what God has, the quieter the voice becomes. And the more dim. And also the more cynical we become and the less like Jesus we become. And we start becoming really, really ugly as we move away from His ways. He says, Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and I would heal them. And return and I would heal them. For the Jew, the practice was always this word teshuva, this return. This was the word that was spoken to them, return. They were, they were with Ab- they, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob followed God. They had drifted away, drifted away, and what he was calling them back to was this return. To the Gentile, what he was always calling them to was to turn away from idols and t- toward the Lord. To the Jew, he was saying, return to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Return, and I would heal them. Look at this as a word of tremendous mercy. God is longing to heal us. Longing to make us better. Longing to give us good lives. But through our desire to not listen on that one. Oh, that's something I'll address later. We keep on seeing, but then we don't perceive. And later on, our eyes become closed and our ears become hard of hearing because our heart becomes dull. And then somebody can share something that would have really impacted us one day and we're like, oh, that's nice. And we have to say, God, 
get a hold of my heart. You know, when I was your age, you know what I feared a lot? I feared falling away. I really did. I saw so many students come to the Lord in great excitement and so many students just kind of drift away. Never, never did it occur overnight. Never did people wake up in the morning and say, I think I will stop following Jesus today. I would rather follow Satan. Satan's ways I prefer. I'm going to follow his ways from now on. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. It's this dulling process of moving away further and further from Jesus. There's a process here. And so I thought, God, am I going to fall away? Am I going to slip away? And then I would take the scriptures and meditate on them. And it speaks about what you have to do. What you have to do to keep this from happening. And I memorized Psalm 1. Because it it characterized this perfectly. Perfectly. As to what you have to do. What you have to do to keep from falling away. It says, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. That's the secret. Your leaf will not wither if you do this. Do what? In his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. If you take this book and make it your meditation, you will not slip away. That is what the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as a college student through this verse. And I started memorizing scripture verses. Memorizing scripture verses. If you take this book, if you don't fear slipping away, you really ought to. Because the statistics are that people do. Believers become dull. You say, well, you know, they don't really become dull. Let's look, look in, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. This book was written to Hebrew Christians, to believing Jews, Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah. Some people use the term Hebrew Christians. Uh, uh, The Jews don't particularly like that term. They don't consider themselves Christians. They call themselves believing Jews. So, whatever you want to call them, these were to believers who were Jews. This is in Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to start reading from verse 12. So he's speaking to believers. He says, Take care, brethren, that there, be, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Oh, he's speaking to believers. And he says, you can get a heart. He says, be careful that you don't get an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. When our hearts stop believing this truth, we start falling away from God. Our ears have trouble hearing. Our eyes have trouble seeing. Because our heart becomes dull, and there's all sorts of pains in our lives, and God is saying, if you would only return, I would heal you. It comes through unbelief. He says, verse 13, but encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
He says, you've got to encourage one another. This is why I get concerned when people start, stop coming into fellowship. Now, everybody is free. You don't have to come. But when people stop participating in fellowship, I become very concerned. Because he says, encourage one another as long as it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another day, uh, day after day. That we are around one another, encouraging one another. There has to be fellowship. A young woman wrote to me, she says, um, uh, I'm sorry, I haven't, I haven't seen you in, in a long time. I just haven't had much time for God this semester. And I wrote back, I said, oh, I thought you were just going somewhere else, so I was saddened, so I missed you. But now that you don't have time for God, now I'm concerned for your soul. Because it says that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You start falling out of fellowship and you think it's okay. You still have your relationship with God. Once saved, always saved. He is speaking to believers. You can fall into the deceitfulness of sin. And though you may be saved, your life will become indistinguishable from the unbeliever. Your family will become indistinguishable from the unbeliever. So even though you're saved, your life is the same. He says, for we have become partakers, in verse 14, of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. You become a partaker if you hold it fast. You become a partaker of Christ if you hold fast of that assurance, of that belief, firm until the end. What is the end? When you're dead and you rise with Him. You hold it fast, your, your assurance, and you will be partakers of Christ. You let it go and you're not partakers of Christ and you become very quickly, just like the world. I know it from my own life. If I don't maintain that fellowship with God, I become really cynical and I see the wrong in everything. And I start complaining about all sorts of little things. I mean, little things. I mean, there's a staple on the ground. And it's a major issue in my life now. In verse 15, while it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me. For, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses... And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to rest, enter, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. Unbelief comes in when we stop studying this word. You stop studying this word, you will start falling out of fellowship and unbelief will come. Look in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Faith has two parts. He says, whoever comes to God must believe that He is. 
So to just say, well, look, I believe in God, I'm all right. Good. That's only step one. Step two is that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. You seek Him, He will reward you. That I am sure of. I don't know how He will reward you, but He will reward you. You seek Him, He will reward you. Without faith, we cannot please Him. We can't do it. And this is why He says to these brethren that He loves, He says, look, your hearts are becoming hardened. Isaiah spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah to your fathers and you're doing it again. And believers do this all the time. We don't really want to want to do this. We don't really want to take hold of this. And little by little, after a few years, we just drift away. This is what he says. He says, be careful, brethren, about this. Be very careful. You must believe that He will reward you if you seek Him. Therefore, you don't seek Him, there's no reward. And you're on your own. And your life will be no different than that of the unbeliever. You seek Him, there will be great reward. This is what he says. You want to have this type of life. Paul says, you know, I I was unhindered. I welcomed all. He didn't see problems like anyone else would see because he learned to overcome evil with good. And then on top of that, he could say, I am going to stay close to Jesus. You take this word, you make it your meditation, and I still do that to this day. So I have this this childish little practice, even to this day. Here I am, this old guy, and I have a pocket full of scriptures in 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 a plastic bag that I'm memorizing scripture. It works. It really works. And as I memorize this thing, I said, Lord, do this in my life. Do this. Lord, do it in my life. Because it says, if you take this word and make it your meditation, memorize Psalm 1. I mean, it's simple. I've seen four-year-olds memorize Psalm 1. I have, because my own children did. Take that book, take that psalm, and read it what it says. If you make this book your meditation, you will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Everybody else may be drying up around you, but you're going to be this tree with this stream of water next to you. Your leaf will never wither, and in whatever you do, you will prosper. You say, well, I'm preaching a prosperity. I didn't say anything. I just quoted the Bible. Whatever you do, you will prosper. Prosper, Prosperity in the Scriptures is much different than just monetary prosperity. I know lots of people with a lot of money who are terribly miserable. It is much better than that. It is a quality of life that can't be matched, so that when you're imprisoned and in chains, you say, this is wonderful. I'm unhindered. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for the truth of the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would help us to overcome evil with good, And that you'd cause us to to take hold of your word, to pay attention to it. Lest our ears be unable to hear. Lest our eyes become closed. 
lest our hearts become dumb. Father, I pray for these young people that they would take hold of your word and meditate on it. Lest their hearts become dull and they fall away because of the deceitfulness of sin. Father, I pray that they would heed this warning in the book of Hebrews. Father, that while it is still called today, that they would take hold of your word. Father, have mercy, I pray. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.